Planet Korea is the little blank canvas of radio time we set aside each week to explore as creatively as we can different cultural phenomena going on in this country. And we often try to get out of the studio and do a little exploring out in the field. Once a month, we're joined by Colin Marshall for an occasional series on Korean urbanism. Colin, if you don't know him, is a Los Angeles native who writes and broadcasts prolifically on the subject of urban culture and architecture. You can search him online. You'll find a mountain of his articles and podcasts. Anyway, Colin has been reading up on the Seoul bus system lately, and he suggested we take a ride around town to discover some of the more iconic bus lines. Come along for the ride. So, Carlin, uh, part of the reason we're out here is you are uh, all fired up after having read a few books. Uh, yes, books I am. in Korean. You're a very avid Korean student. And they're books about bus lines through the city. What, what, what are they all about? Right. So, to someone outside East Asia or someone outside big cities in America or Europe, it might sound a little strange, but there are books written about bus travel. In Seoul, I'm holding two right now. The newer one is called uh, Bosuro Seoul Yoheng. The older one is called Dobosu, which is just <laughs> in Korean the bus. It's a transliteration of the English word, and they're by these ladies by the name of uh, Lee Yeon and Lee Hyerim. And they do this magazine called Sengak Bosu or Thinking Bus. And their whole thing is about traveling in Seoul through the bus, seeing Seoul through the bus, through the windows of the bus, using the bus as a way to understand Seoul, as a way to not just commute, but to get to know the city better. And the first, the first book, The Bossu, is just about what you can see on different bus lines. There's architecture lines, culture lines, uh, different lines like that. That's how they sort them. And the new one, Bossuro Seoul Yoheng, is really this in-depth travel guide almost, as if Seoul were a country and the bus lines were, you know, the very roads. And so they take the bus lines we all know, we all use, and they give them themes you can use to understand them and to enjoy them more. Want to get on? I want to get on. I'm ready. So, Colin, this is kind of a good omen. Mm. Already... We've gotten on the bus, and this is a, a first for me. This is the first double-decker bus I've ever been on in Seoul. It's the first I have as well. Have you been to London? Have you ridden the double-decker buses there, the iconic London two-story Routemaster, or the new ones, anything like that? I did not, but I lived in Hong Kong for a long time, and they've got double-decker buses modeled on the London ones. But this is a relatively new thing, double-decker buses here. Yeah, they've only been recently introduced. You don't see many of them, but this is a commuter bus, so I think they're starting to roll them out on these sort of higher volume lines, the ones that take people, a lot of people, in and out of the city every day. For somebody who's just arriving in Korea or in Seoul, the buses are colored differently and have different numberings, and those each have meanings. Seoul has a reputation, still to this day, as a bit of a gray city, a little bit of a monochromatic city, not entirely unearned, but color has been introduced over time. So in 2004, 12 years ago, as part of a rebranding, the Seoul bus system got colors. And so I love looking down out my window. I live six stories above Shincheonno, the main drag in Shincheon, and I see almost 24 hours a day this stream of red buses, green buses, blue buses, 
sometimes even yellow buses, like colorful fish swimming by. And for a while, I didn't know what that meant. Why, why were they these different colors? But they signify things. So the normal buses you ride in Seoul are blue. Some are operated by the city publicly. Some are privately operated. doesn't matter to the user. Just pay with your card and get on. But uh, they're sort of the main workhorse city buses. They're the blue ones. Uh, and the blue signifies officially the color of the Hangang, the river, and the color of the sky. Uh, there are these red buses, like the one we're on now, which are red because they're supposed to be rapid, even though we're sort of stop and go at the moment. But they're commuter buses that go in and out of downtown Seoul. Uh, and the green buses are privately operated. They connect major subway stations and other main bus transfer points. So they're really connecting one point of interest to another, one point of transit interest to another. And the yellow ones are circulator buses. They go around in circles. There's not too many of them, mostly around Namsan. Mm -hmm. But uh, they still exist. So if you see a yellow bus, try riding it. And it's, it'll be a rare experience at some point. And so the shorthand really is, if you're going a short distance, your bus is probably green. If you're going a medium distance, your bus is probably blue, and if you're going a long distance, your bus is probably red or orange. Precisely, and there's of course other kinds of buses like specialized uh, airport buses, limousine buses, there's uh, the, the Seoul Tiger trolley that goes around. These are less official buses, but they still, they still fulfill their function. Colin, this line that we're on, uh, the number is actually 362, the bus. Mm -hmm. And we're heading east along the Han River, farther east, I think, than I've been or that I remember being aware of being. This is recommended as a route to take as one of the architecture tours. And you see various generations of high-rise housing as you go along this route, as you go along the, along the Hangang, whether on this side or on the other bank. And it's, it underscores how important housing is, especially high-rise housing, to the history of Seoul, the built environment of Seoul, how Seoul looks and feels. And you see pretty much every type of high-rise housing the city has ever had as you go along the 362. Some real old-timers, too. We're passing by, I guess that must be like a 14-story building or so, and it looks like it has been here since the Park Jung-hee administration or something like that. Yeah, and some of them will have seen better days compared to other buildings at the age of this complex. Some look like they're falling down. This one seems to be standing up basically okay. <laughs> but you'll see all kinds of conditions. Yeah. So, Colin, we're looping back around. We're uh, on the 401, and we're going over the bridge again. We've been noodling around on buses so long that the sun has dipped below the horizon. <laughs> uh, we just saw that. Uh, what is that? Um, that's like kind of science fiction looking building where they, wasn't it something to do with APEC or something like that? that those artificial islands back there? Yeah. Yeah, they built those and one of them, there's, a, there's sort of venues for exhibitions and there's meeting spaces in there. I went to them when I visited Korea for the first time and it really gave me a sense of Seoul's development. Like this is a city where they just build some artificial islands in the river if they want to. They just do it. <laughs> and we're going to enter what this book that you read describes as the art line. Exactly. It's a line recommended for its for the section that it goes into downtown because you go by an area with a lot of large-scale public art. There's actually a law dictating that the company's building skyscrapers there. 
pay for some public art as well. So you get giant sculptures, like we're going to see Jonathan Borofsky's Hammering Man, I'm sure you know it, I've in Guanghuamun, which is one of many hammering men all around the world. I grew up near Seattle, and there's a one right outside the art museum, which I used to see in childhood all the time. And so I see one in Seoul, it's like, wait, hold on, what's happening here? And I looked up, but Jonathan Borofsky, the sculptor, he franchises these all over the place, and Seoul got their own, you know. That's a, a, piece, of, a piece of entry into the world of public art, I guess, is that they have their own hammering men. But we'll see a less readily accepted one at the head of the Chonkechon Stream, another very well-known urban uh, project yes. here in Seoul, which was made by Clay um, uh, Oldenburg and his wife. And they collaborated on this this sculpture called Spring. And it's like, it looks like a very tall snail shell and it's blue and red it looks purplish uh, in effect but it looks very different in the day and in the night so i recommend people look at it in both instances to see sort of to have the full spring experience and only then judge that is called spring spring mm-hmm. and you used a very delicate and very diplomatic term a snail shell <laughs> to describe it uh I, it is basically a uh, a swirl. Yes, it's swirling. It's an upward swirl that's wider at the bottom than it is at the top, which could be con- compared to uh, perhaps soft serve ice cream perhaps or, one, or uh, other yeah. substances. Indeed, there's a variety of things you could see it as, <laughs> potentially. People have a lot of complaints about it. Number one being that it really was a piece of public art for a very public project that the public didn't have much say in. Uh-huh. Uh, but they didn't have much say in the other pieces of legally mandated corporate paid for public art as well. There's another one we'll see on this route in front of POSCO headquarters. POSCO is the steel company, of course. Um, and they commissioned a sculpture by Frank Stella, or they bought one by Frank Stella. Uh, I forget if it was a commission or just a purchase called um, Annabelle. Mm. And it's um, this swirl of metal. It's made out of components of a plane. And it is. it was named recently in this article that made its way around as one of the most hated pieces of public art in the world. So there's been efforts to move it to a museum, but Frank Stella himself doesn't want that to happen. So we have this cloud of metal shards, which I, I think it's possible to appreciate. But in general, the sentiment seems to be negative. That's public art for you. So, you, know, you want it to cause some amount of controversy. Colin, we, uh, of course, pull through Moon and uh, go by Kyeongbokgung, the statue of King Sejong and the, ca- the statue of Isun Shin, Indeed. which aren't too shabby to look at. Not at all. You know, they were not commissioned pieces of public art by foreigners, but they are representative, <laughs> they're representative of, well, interestingly, I mean, the idea that there was an argument, not about the artistic merit of those statues, but about which one was going to be taller. That was a huge thing, because, you know, you wouldn't... You've been in Korea a while. You know that people here wouldn't want to have anybody taller than Lee Sun-shin, even if it is King Sejong. Yeah. A little trivia for you on King Sejong. Did you know that he was the first uh, Korean leader or monarch to institute maternity leave? I didn't know that. Yeah, I learned that just a few weeks weeks ago or a few months ago. In his day and age. Wow. All right, Colin, I guess our loop is complete. Our triangulation of Seoul is complete. We've taken the architecture line, the public art line, and uh, just sort of an ordinary utilitarian line in between. And with just a couple of transfers and spending a total of, what, 1,200 won, we've seen a whole lot of what Seoul has to offer. Got on a double-decker bus even, and we end up here Mm. at Seoul Station, which could be deserving of an episode of 
the you know, of an episode to its to itself by itself. It's such a yeah. important part of the urbanism of Seoul. But of course, we're now facing Seoul Square, which in a mere matter of minutes is going to turn into a giant video screen, which everybody who has disembarked from Seoul Station, who's descended the steps, has seen. The side of the building is literally kind of like an LED panel of pixels. It's sort of, it's got sort of the Times Square of Seoul kind of feeling here at Seoul Square. The other thing I like about taking the bus is there's this little cheerful message as you exit, you know, I think it said, uh, 고객님 오늘도 좋은 하루 되세요. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, that's nice. You didn't have to say that. Have a nice day. Right, right, right. I mean, I'll take that to heart. It's been good so far. Well, it's been a pleasure, and let's catch another bus sometime. Pleasure's all mine. Let's do it. Special thanks again to Cullen Marshall, a journalist at large who specializes in urban culture and architecture. We're back with some health tips from the world of Korean medicine in just a minute. But for now, let's stay on the bus theme with just a little musical interlude from Modern Juice. This is Bossa Cheongryujang.
次等你呀。